God is worthy to be praised, is he not? And we give him praise because he's worthy. I, my name is Bob Thomas. I'm the executive pastor here at Community Alliance Church, if you don't uh, know that. I know that you greeted one another a few minutes ago. I want to greet you and say uh, welcome. We're glad that you are here this morning. Uh, I'm glad that you're here this morning because when Denny's not preaching, I never know who's going to show up, quite frankly. So I'm glad that you're here. Um, I want to let you know that we're going to be talking about uh, Philippians this morning, the book of Philippians. So if you want to open your Bibles to the book of Philippians, the first chapter, uh, we're going to look at several verses. But before I do that, I want to point out a couple things in your bulletin that are important for you. And one thing, actually, that's not in your bulletin. We are having a, a food drive. You see that information in there. It's a, it's a phenomenal ministry that we have for the community. Please be a part of that. We do need some pies baked for the card crews, so please be a part of that. You can sign up for that right out that door that way in the ministry center. There's something else that we're doing that's uh, really very unique. It's not something we do very often at all, and that's a blood drive. This Thursday, uh, July 18th, there's going to be a blood drive here from 2 to 7. Someone in our, um, in our body, a member of Bob Worrell, is, is someone that's been, has had major health issues for quite a while, and uh, we really want to have a, a blood drive to replenish some of the blood that, that he's had to use, that they've used in his treatment. So would you consider that, please? And if, you, if it's something you can do for us, right outside these doors on the left, I believe, is the sign-up sheet for that. You can also go to a website. That information's in your, um, in your bulletin, and you can sign up for that. Two to seven, we'd really like to get a bunch of our folks out donating blood. So please consider that. And then the last thing that's not in your bulletin uh, is, a, is for those of you that are interested in or are currently homeschooling, it's a full-day event here put on by the Christian Homeschool Association of Pennsylvania. It's actually in our sanctuary, August 10th. And if you want some more information about that, you can go to our library, and they have a way for you to sign up for it. Um, and it basically says, come for a full day of learning and connecting with other parents and students. So it's both for parents and students. And we'd love, uh, if you'd like to get some more information, for you to go to the library and do that. So uh, I know we always put a bunch of stuff in your bulletin. We always try to figure out what we're going to highlight and what we can't. But uh, all of the bulletin information is important, but I wanted to give you a few highlights at least. This morning, as I said, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, starting verse 27. And we're going to read through chapter 2, uh, really through verse 16. Um, and I want you to know that uh, I'm not going to go verse by verse, so relax. Um, I do have a bag here with me, and it's a paper bag, and someone asked me if I had my lunch. So we won't be here that long, I, I promise. Um, but we'll be here just a little while. But, but I want to go through those verses quite quickly. But Paul, in that whole passage, is making a point. From verse 27 through verse 16 of chapter 2, he's really talking about the same issue. So I want to tie all of those things together. So we'll go very quickly through most of those verses, and then we're going to camp on verse 13. So I do want to read verse uh, 27 of chapter 1 through to verse 16 of chapter 2. And as I said in the first service... Um, I think the print in my Bible somehow gets smaller every year, but uh, I can still read it. So let's, uh, let's start and read God's word, starting in Philippians 1, verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had and now that I still have. 
And then in chapter 2, he says this, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same joy, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look to not only, not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. The book was written by the Apostle Paul. It's named the Philippians because it was written to a group of people who lived in a city called Philippi. So it's not that original, really. Philippians. Uh, you know that Danny's been preaching on Thessalonians, those were people that lived in the city of Thessalonica. So often, that's the way the books of the Bible got their name. And so I want to move very quickly through much of this passage that I just read, and then I want to camp on really a specific word or two in verse uh, 13. Verse 27 of chapter 1, Paul begins by addressing uh, really a situation that exists. You see, he, he's writing to the Philippians. Paul writes this from jail. Or he's, a, he's a prisoner. He's under house arrest. He writes it to the Philippians, and he, he writes this letter to thank them for sending help to him when they found out that he was being held prisoner. That's kind of his main purpose, but he does several other things as well. He encourages them to stand in the face of opposition during the letter. He also really challenges them to, to live the way they're supposed to live. See, the, the Philippians the Philippian church was having some issues. They were having some relational problems. I know that that's impossible to happen. It will never happen here at Community Alliance Church. But there, there were some relational issues. They weren't quite living the way they were supposed to be living. You know what? That happens between Christians at times. And so Paul is addressing that as well. And that's really what he begins to talk about here in verse 27. He says, Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Live the right way is basically what he's saying. He then talks about the struggles they're experiencing from those that are opposing them in verse 28 and really the following verses, 29 there and 30. And then in chapter 2, he starts out and he's really encouraging them. He says, if you have any encouragement, if any comfort, if any love, each of you should look, in verse 4 it says, each of you should look not only to your own interests but also to the interests of others. Again, he's telling them, He's addressing this relational problem that they had. And then he uses the example of Christ and his example of humility. And he's basically saying to them, you need to live 
as he lived. You need to live humbly, and you need to look towards others as more important than yourself. And then he comes to verse 12 of chapter 2, and he says this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. And then he uses a phrase here that I want to talk about. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We first look at that. It says, work out your salvation. I want to make clear, this is, Paul's not saying work for your salvation. Right? It's clear from Scripture, uh, what Paul wrote and many others wrote, that we're not to work for our salvation. We can't work for our salvation. In fact, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And then verse 9 says, not by works, so that no one can boast. So clearly Paul's not saying work for your salvation. What he is saying is to live it out, to live it out properly together. Again, he's addressing those relational issues that exists. They weren't acting the way they should. And Paul's saying, you need to be living the gospel out. He's really saying, live up to the high standard of the gospel. That's when he says in verse 27, live in a manner worthy of the gospel. He's saying, live the right way. Live the way you should live. Live out the truth you know. He then says to live out this fear, live out the salvation in fear and trembling. And again, when you first read that, it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. We're not supposed to live in fear, so what is that saying? The idea here is to be in awe of who God is and to be in awe of what he's capable of, of doing. The best example uh, of this word being used elsewhere in the Old Testament, it's used several places, but the, the, the idea is used in the Old Testament in Psalm chapter 2, verse 11. It, and it's here the Israelites are told to serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. We don't often think of celebrating with trembling, but the idea is, is they're in awe. They're in reverence of who he is. And that's the way we're to live our lives as well, in reverence. So when Paul says to work out your salvation in fear and trembling, he's saying, live out what you know to be true and live that out in a way that you give God his rightful place. And again, he's talking about humility. And we should be humble. We should be trembling. And we should be weak in comparison to him. We shouldn't think too highly of ourselves. That's what Paul is saying. Then in verse 13, he reminds them that it's God that enables them to work out their salvation, to live it out. He says, it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It's because of God, really, that they're able to even desire to live that way. And he's the one that empowers them, gives them the ability, the capability to live that way. And then he, he does this, it says, because it's his good purpose. It, it's, he does it for his good purpose. So I want to camp uh, this morning for really uh, several minutes on this word, purpose, found at the very end of verse 13. And in some translations say, for his good pleasure as well. But the idea is the same. It's God's desire. What's his purpose for us? And I think that when I look at that verse, the thought that comes to mind immediately is, well, if he has a purpose and I'm supposed to live in a way that's aligned with that purpose, well, then the most important thing for me is to know what that purpose is. And so really that's the principle that I want to share this morning. It's this, to live life the way God desires, I must understand his purpose for my life. Pretty simple. So, so I want to spend some time talking about that principle. I'm going to share four truths with you that kind of flesh that out, if you will. But before I do that, I, I need to mention that 
often it seems to me that for most people, the purpose of their life really is, is to sort of lead a good life, uh, kind of be good to people in general, be a good person, and be happy, really. Live a good life. You know, we used to talk about the American dream. We don't, we don't talk about that a whole lot anymore, do we? But we know what the American dream used to be, right? It was a house, two cars, family. You know, it used to be, what, 2.3 children, something like that was the end of that line. It was, it was sort of living the American dream. That, that's the purpose that most people have in life. It's sort of to, to have a nice house, to not have a good job, to have a nice car, maybe two, to have a healthy family, to have a happy family, good relationships. That's the purpose that they live for. And the truth is, even Christians live that life. If we really look at what people invest in, they invest their time and their money, their blood, sweat, and tears, if we look at what they invest into, it really is those things often. It's, the, it's, it's to have a good life, to, to have a house and, 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 and cars, and again, that old, at least, American dream. What's really interesting is there are a lot of people in pulpits this morning in this country and on television in this country who preach very clearly that if you're a believer and you're living the right way, if you're living the way God wants you to live, you will have all those things and more. You will have the house and the car and the houses and the cars, and you'll, you'll, live, you'll be healthy, you'll be wealthy, you'll be happy. That's what they say, that God will remove, if you live the right way, God will remove those barriers to any uh, material blessing that you have. He'll tear down the barrier so you can be health, happy, healthy, successful, and wealthy. I have to say to you that I would love the opportunity to ask the Apostle Paul what he thinks of that gospel message. And here's the reason why. Here's a few things that happened to Paul, the apostle, the apostle who wrote this book. There's a few things that happened in his life. First of all, he had a lot of death threats. He was criticized by a lot of Christians. He was under arrest for two years without a trial. He was beaten and left for dead. He was stoned and left for dead. Three times, it says, he was beaten with rods. Five times he was beaten, he was whipped, sorry, with 39 lashes. The reason the number 39 is important is because often 40 killed you. He was shipwrecked three times. He was attacked by an angry mob. There's some other things. Does it sound to you like Paul would agree that the gospel message is if you live the right way, you're going to receive those material blessings? It certainly doesn't sound that way to me. That is not the gospel. And that's not God's purpose for us. Now, I want to say that I think there's a lot of confusion about God's purpose because he does bless us. Scripture's really clear. He blesses us with every spiritual blessing, right? He has, he has rescued us from our sins. Scripture says he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and he has transferred us to the kingdom of the light, to the kingdom of his beloved son. So he's forgiven us of our sin. He's guaranteed us, he's promised us, those, that believe, those of us that are believers, he's promised that we will spend all eternity with him in heaven. It's a promise. So he's, he's blessed us incredibly. But he has also blessed us in many ways, materially as well. I mean, look around. We as a body are very blessed. I, I would challenge you really, encourage you to ponder your own life for a moment. And even in the midst of the difficulties and the hard 
situations you may be facing, some of the hard circumstances that you're facing, if you, if you think about it, I think you'll see that God blesses you, not just spiritually, but also physically and with material blessing as well. And when he does, we should praise him. None of those things are bad things. It's not wrong to have any of those things. Quite frankly, I have most of them, if not all of them. It's great. Let's praise God for that. I think the confusion comes, however, for Christians when we begin to feel that if we have those things, then God is blessing us. And if somehow one of those things is missing from our lives, then God is not blessing us. That's wrong. That's not scriptural in any way. It's, it's an error that many people have bought into. You see, it's, his purpose is larger than that. Certainly he does bless us, but for his purpose for our body and for us as individuals is much broader and much different than just giving us physical blessing. So I want to take a few minutes. I say, I've told you a little bit about what it isn't. Well, let's talk about what his purpose is then. So I want to take a few minutes and give you some insight into God's purpose for your life and for mine. We've already kind of laid out that principle there, right? To live life the way God desires, I must understand his purpose for my life. So now we're going to look at some scripture to discover what that purpose is. And I'm going to tell you that I'm going to fly through this scripture. Uh, I'm going to give you lots of references. I'm going to read lots of verses. I'd love for you to write those down. They're going to be up on your screen just as I say them, because those guys in the sound booth are awesome. That's the reason they're going to be up there. Um, so you can jot them down. And then I'd love for you to go home and read those verses so that you can de- de- define for yourself God's purpose. You can look at scripture and pull out exactly what his purpose is for you. I also want you to know that if we go too fast, if I skip one, if I don't get it right, and trust me, if what I'm saying doesn't line up with, with the screen, it's probably my fault, not theirs. Uh, but if something doesn't go right, email me. I'll send you the references. There's my email address, okay? Make sure it's right. I'm serious. I'll give them to you because I want you to know them. I want you to have them, okay? So let, let's just start through this process, and we're going to look at some truths about this purpose that God has for us. 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4 says, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Then John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So 1 Timothy says, God's desire is that all people should be saved. That's his desire. And then John 3.16 tells us he actually made that happen. He sent his son so that we could have eternal life. So the first truth is really quite clear from these verses and, and many other verses in Scripture. The first truth is God desires everyone to come to a saving knowledge of Christ. That's a, the first truth about his purpose for our lives. God desires everyone to come to a saving knowledge of Christ. Certainly more than just coming to that saving knowledge, Scripture talks a lot about the relationship between the Lord and believers. And so let's continue to run through these verses and, and look for some, some information. God desires for believers, his desire for us is that we seek him continually. Matthew six thirty three says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. First Chronicles sixteen eleven says, Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Not every once in a while, not occasionally, but continually. 
God desires that we trust him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Very familiar verses to many of you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And then John 15, 4 talks about the fact that we are to abide in him or to remain in him. This is where Jesus calls himself the vine. He says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If the branches remain in me and I in them, they'll bear much fruit. So we're to abide in him, remain in him. Again, this is a daily, consistent walk. We're designed also to love God. And to, as Bill Opperman reminded us last week, we're to love God and love people. So Matthew 22 is one of the places in 37 through 39 where it says this. Jesus is talking to someone. He says, yeah, there's a lot of commandments. I mean, what's the most important? What, what should I do? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then he says, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So part of that purpose is that we love God. Really, his purpose for us is that we would be more and more transformed into his likeness and become more and more like him. It's why we use that word so often, transformed, because it's a, it's a metamorphosis type of ongoing situation in our lives. Let me read two more verses, and then we'll, we'll come to another truth that I think sums up all of these. Ephesians 4.11 says, Christ gave himself... Sorry, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Why did he give them? To equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. And then Hebrews 6.1 says, Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. So that's really the second truth that I see about this principle that I laid out there. The first truth was that God desires everyone to come to a saving knowledge of Christ. The second truth is God desires that I grow into a mature believer. God desires that I and you grow into a mature believer. He doesn't just want us to be good people. He doesn't just want us to to come to church every Sunday. Again, as I said earlier, I'm glad you're here, but can I be really, really honest? It's not enough. God desires more than that. He wants us to be mature. And part of the maturing process is being here. But you can be here. I said in the first service, you know, you used to get stars for how many years of attendance you had. You can be here 25 years in a row and never miss a Sunday and still not be mature. Hopefully, you are mature, and hopefully it helps the maturing process, but it's not a guarantee. God wants more than just regular attendees. He wants mature believers. Mature believers. And as we mature, we're changed from the inside out. And who we are and how we behave begins to change. And really, there are hundreds of verses that talk about a mature Christian. That's why I brought my lunch. No, not really. There are hundreds of verses that talk about mature Christians. So so we're not going to go through all of them, but I do want to go through a few of them. So let me give you a few characteristics of a mature believer. First of all, we are to worship him. 1 Chronicles 16, 23. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. 
Psalm 100, verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give him thanks to him. Give thanks to him and praise his name. That's what we did earlier this morning. Wasn't it a fantastic opportunity? But we can do that in our homes. We can do that in our cars. We don't need music to do that. It's a great thing that helps us give him worship and praise. So he desires that we, sorry, we want to worship him. That's part of what a mature believer does. We also want to give to him. Scripture makes that clear. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7 says, Since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, and in knowledge, and then at the end it says, See that you also excel in this grace of giving. Paul's telling the Corinthians, You need to give. It's part of who God has designed us to be, it's part of his purpose for us. And then actually, exactly a, ver- a chapter later in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, he tells us how we are to give. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Again, many more verses. So we're to worship him, we're to give to him, we're to do justice, be holy, rely on him, be caring, humble. We're to exhibit the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22, 23. Those fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Again, I could go on for hours. I won't. That's a description, a partial description of a mature believer. That's who God desires me and you to be. Not just attendees, not just good people, way more than that. So up to this point, we've, we've looked at his purpose and we're starting to flesh that out a little bit. And I've really primarily focused on who we are to be and how we are to relate to the Lord, right? That's been our, our emphasis. But I did mention that we're also to love people. And if, if in fact, one of the truths that we discovered is that, Jesus, that, that God desires that all people come to a saving knowledge of Christ, then it seems as though he would want us to be involved in that process pretty clearly. Just as someone shared that truth with us, he desires that we share that truth with others. So the, the third truth then about this principle is God desires that I lead others to him. God desires that I lead others to him. We need to witness. We need to share the gospel message so that people can be rescued from sin, just like we were, and be given that opportunity to have a relationship with the Savior of the world and their personal Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I will say to you that that doesn't necessarily mean that we need to go to a street corner right now or to the parking lot at Walmart or some public place and preach the gospel or to witness to everyone that goes by. The truth is, that used to happen all the time in the United States, and it was pretty effective. People would preach on street corners, and people would stop and listen and get saved. I've heard those stories. I just heard some people sharing that story with me after the first service. I will say that it still happens occasionally in the United States. God can still use that, but I will say that that's probably not our most effective method. We need to live lives so that people are drawn to Christ. We need to live these mature, the lives of mature believers so that people are drawn to him. But I do need you to know, and I really want to be honest with you, but I want to challenge you to say, if you've been a believer for more than, okay, 20 minutes, no, more than a year, let's say, you really need to be able to answer a few questions if people ask you. 
If they say, how do I accept Christ? You know, I mean, wh- why do I have to accept Christ? I mean, what, what's the gospel message anyway? I hear that all the time. What's that mean? What's it mean to be a Christian? You know, you should be able to just very simply step through a, a plan and, and share the gospel message with someone. And so here's what I want to do. I want to give you a couple tools. If you don't know how to do that, it's not a problem. You can learn. One of the great things about the internet, all kinds of information at your fingertips. There's good information. There's not so good information. So I'm going to lead you to some good information. If you go to any search engine and you type in Billy Graham, peace with God, it'll take you to Billy Graham's site. And it'll actually, there's videos. It'll, it'll walk you through what peace with God means, how to obtain that. And really, Billy Graham emphasizes John 3.16. That's what he talks about. That's what he's talked about for years. That's what he's preached. And obviously, millions of people have come to Christ through his ministry. You could also type in navigators, the bridge illustration. And I think they actually have the it's a navigators.org bridge illustration. That's what Denny talks about. You've heard him talk about the bridge illustration. That's what it is. One page, it'll give you some diagrams. Very simple. Be able to share the gospel with someone. And then last thing I want you to do, very important. Once you get that, practice with someone. I mean, with someone you know, someone who's a Christian, just say, you know what? I, I just want to go through this once. I'm going to practice. Because anytime we do something for the first time, it's usually pretty difficult. But if we do it two or three times, let that person practice on us. And then when the opportunity comes and someone just says, what is all this Christianity stuff anyway? You'll be ready to share. If you don't have, an inter- you don't have internet access and you, still- and you don't know how to share the gospel, call the church office. We'll get a resource into your hands. All right? We want to make sure you can share the gospel. And you can with just a few easy verses and a few good resources in your hands. So please, take that challenge. If you've been a believer, you need to be able to do that. Okay, I have one last truth that's critical to understanding God's purpose for my life and for yours. We've looked at three truths so far, right? God desires that everyone come to a saving knowledge of him. God desires that I become a mature believer. God desires that I lead others to him. And the last one really is a, is a critical piece to this idea of perfect purpose and living the way he desires us to live. The fourth truth is this. God's purpose for my life has an, an eternal perspective. God's purpose for my life has an eternal perspective. You see, I believe that one of the main reasons that we stray away from God's purpose for our lives and we begin to focus on the wrong things is that we do not understand the length of God's plan for our lives. We tend to think that God's plan for our lives is 30 years long, or 50 years long, or 80 years long, however many years we have on the earth. Sometimes it's, we only have 10 years, or five. We begin to, to feel that God's concern are, is our time on this planet. But the truth of the matter is, God's main concern is not for those years, but it's for the hundreds of millions of years we will be, for all eternity, still alive after we pass from this earth. That's his main focus. And so when we begin to focus on life here is when we can start to get out of balance in our desires, out of balance in in how we're living this life. We can start to invest in the wrong things. I want to say this to you, that this week, 
Uh, we had a young woman pass away. She was 49 years old. In fact, uh, when I'm done here, I've got to go to the funeral home and help that family prepare for that funeral. Uh, the viewing is today, funerals tomorrow. And, and her life was not easy. It was a difficult, difficult uh, life from a physical standpoint. She had a lot of physical issues. Um, when the, she was born, her parents said that she wouldn't last until she was 17 years old. She couldn't, wouldn't live that long. Obviously, she lived till she was 49. But it was a life of struggle, physical difficulty, um, discomfort, a lot of long hospital stays, not a day or two, but weeks and weeks in the hospital, in nursing homes. It was a very difficult life filled with pain. And through the hospital visits and some other events in her life, she came to know someone from this body, someone from Community Alliance Church. And they were able to share the gospel with her a while ago, and she accepted Christ as her Savior. Now, I don't want to say to you that I'm not proposing that she lived that life so that she could meet that person. You know, I don't know how God works all those things out. He's God, I'm not. So I don't, I don't know that for sure. I don't know why she lived that life for 49 years. I don't. But here's what I do know. I'm pretty sure that right now, as we sit here, that young woman, that young woman is with her Savior, Jesus Christ. And I can, I just know that that 49 years that she spent on this planet right now seems to her like it was an instant because she has all of eternity ahead of her. Scripture says life is like a vapor. It comes, it goes, it's gone. And we forget that when we're in the midst of difficult situations and the midst of pain. And so we need to ask God for his help to have that eternal perspective. Because that young woman knows, she understands firsthand the, the truth of Revelation 21.4 that says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. That's her reality now. And she understands the comparison between 49 years and millions of years, pain-free with him. Listen, I also know that that story doesn't make your life situation any easier or better right now. You might have a similar, you might be living in a similar situation. You might be living in a worse situation. You may have difficulties and hardships in your life that are, that are hard to reconcile with that truth on a daily basis. But again, I want to encourage you to ask the Lord to remind you that his purpose for our life has an eternal perspective. It's not just the time we spend here. It's the time that we'll spend with him for all eternity. Paul continues in verses uh, 14 and 15 of chapter 2, and he says, do everything without arguing or grumbling in 14, and then he says in 15, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. They lived in a warped and crooked generation. You know what? So do we. And you know what? So has every generation. You know why? Sin. They lived in a warped and crooked generation. And he says, live without fault in that type of generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. You see, the truth is, living without grumbling or complaining and sort of praising God when life's going good, really isn't that difficult. I mean, people expect that from Christians. It's not that hard. 
Paul understands that, and he tells the Philippians that in the midst of this opposition that they're facing and the, the midst of the difficulties they're having among themselves and with some people in the body, if they live blameless lives, if they live the right way in spite of those circumstances, then they will get noticed, even like stars in the sky. Do you remember, it was a month ago, six weeks ago, Denny talked about being in Africa and seeing the night sky. Does anybody remember that? Good. I, that just means I wasn't imagining it. I'm always happy when that's true. I've had, that, I've had that opportunity as well in Africa, in West Africa, in a game reserve. And, you know, people say you're in the middle of nowhere. I think I was on the edge of the middle of nowhere, quite frankly. There wasn't any man-made light for miles and miles and miles. And I'll just never forget it. It was unbelievable how many stars you could see. The truth is, those stars are there all the time. They're above us right now. We can't see them because of the light. And we can't see that many of them when we're in Butler just because of the light in the sky. Certainly there are places, places in the United States, on the West Coast primarily, where you're just miles and miles away from any man-made light and you can see that kind of canopy of stars. It's incredible. You can't, you can't see them. And, and not talk about them. It, it, it's phenomenal. Um, they're very easily noticed in that darkness. In the light, not so much. The same is true for believers. You know, when things are going well, when there's plenty of good things happening, we don't really stand out that much. I mean, we live our lives, we go on. It's not, it's not that different. We're not that different than anyone else. But when darkness comes into our life, we can begin to stand out and be different from other people. The truth is, when things get really dark, you know, when, when it looks like cancer is going to win, when it looks like your child or your parent isn't going to ever be pain-free, maybe when you've lost the house and had to file for bankruptcy, I mean, things are dark. You know, it's in the midst of those kind of circumstances that we can shine and we can get noticed and we can have an opportunity to share with men and women who come to us and say, how can you respond like this in the midst of this circumstance? And if those people are believers, we can encourage them by saying, God's faithful. He has an eternal perspective. And if they're non-believers, we can say, I can respond this way because of what God has done in my life and in me. And we can share our story. It's, it's during the dark times that we have that opportunity to share. It's really then when people really notice us and they can be drawn to the light, drawn to the Lord. So I want to encourage you that Scripture... You can bring the lights up, guys. Thank you. Uh, I want to encourage you that Scripture has a lot to say about the fact that Christ will never leave us nor forsake us, ever. Psalm 23, 4 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, or even though I walk through the darkest valley, depending on the translation you have, it says, I will fear no evil. Because you're with me. You're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's the way God desires us to live, without fear. Trusting him, no matter my circumstance. So listen, we've, we've looked this morning at, at a principle, right? The light, to live the life that God desires, I must understand his purpose for my life. Pretty simple principle. And then we looked at some truths. First of all, he desires that everyone come to a saving knowledge of Christ. He, he desires everyone to accept Christ. He desires that believers then, we, you and I, grow mature. 
And he also desires that we lead others to him. The last thing we looked at is that his purpose for my life and for yours has an eternal perspective. You know, I want to encourage you, when life gets difficult, as I said earlier, ask God for his help to to remind you of the, the eternal perspective that we need to have. It's not easy, but with his help, with his help, we can have that eternal perspective and we can live a life as Paul says, that's worthy of the gospel. We can live in a manner worthy of the gospel. And we can, at that moment, in the darkest times, shine bright for him so that we can encourage other believers, so that we can share, we have an opportunity to share the good news of Christ with other people. That's not easy. But with his help, and that's what Paul's saying to the Philippians, with his help, you can do it. I'm confident of that. So I want to challenge you this morning as you leave this week and the coming weeks, shine bright, even when it gets dark. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you that you are the light of the world and that you give us the opportunity to shine as lights for you. Would you come alongside and encourage those that are struggling right now because they're in a dark time? Father, would you just wrap your arms around them, remind them that you'll never leave them, never forsake them. And Father, for those of us that are in a time of of blessing in our lives, and we, we feel blessed, we know you're with us, God, would you remind us that that's all because of you, not because of us? Help us to be humble, even as Paul asked the Philippians to be humble. And I pray that you just empower us to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Again, in Paul's words, might we live the right way so that you receive glory and honor from men when they look at our lives. Ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being here. Please come back next week. Let your light shine bright this week. Daniel will be back next week.